Welcome to the Refine Your Health podcast with Dr. Dion. I'm a primary care physician, and now I can happily add podcaster. Tune in to each episode to hear great information on improving health outcomes, disease prevention, and overall community health advocacy. Thanks for listening. Now let's jump into today's episode to improve your health. Hello, listeners. This is your host, Dr. Dion, and thanks for checking out this episode of Refine Your Health. This episode will focus on a topic that isn't talked about much as it relates to overall health and wellness, and that topic is financial health. Finances play a major role in all of our lives and can impact your health. Mainly, it is because of the stress of not being in great financial health, which may lead to actual physical disease. Therefore, I have requested the assistance of a very special guest to tackle this topic especially as it relates to the issue of personal finances in a pandemic. My guest is Deidre Willis. Miss Willis is a native of Mississippi. She's a graduate of Mississippi State University with a BA in banking and finance. Currently, Miss Willis is a certified financial planner and chartered life underwriter. Her areas of expertise is so extensive, but does include financial planning, estate planning, retirement planning, and investment strategies. Ms. Willis states that her overall goal is to ensure you are better equipped to create wealth, sustain it, and preserve it for the next generation. So welcome, Ms. Willis. I am so excited to have you on the show. Dr. Dion, I am excited to join you with this very important topic and conversation on today. Thanks for having me. You are more than welcome. I really appreciate it. So let's just start off by talking about what is meant by financial health. You know, that's excellent. And, and that could be so broad. But when I think of financial health, I first think of health in general. And when you think of health, it's about a state of being well, right? It's a state of being sound, whether that's uh, physical, whether that's mental. So if you were to couple in the financial aspect it's a state that from a financial standpoint, you can sustain. We know that we can't be immune. Things are going to happen. Emergencies are going to pop up. Life will happen. But to be financially healthy means that I plan enough to where that I can withstand whatever may come my way or bounce back. And even from a, I would say the greatest component is the mental aspect of finances because wealth actually starts in our mind. And so it's, you know, being strong enough with knowledge as well to be financially healthy. So being in good financial health, is that something that can happen automatically or is it something that we have to work at? You know, it's something that we have to constantly work at because, as I mentioned, life is going to change. So it, for it to happen automatically, yes, we can have things that's established for us. We can have uh, generations before us that put things in place. But if we, again, don't have the knowledge Dr. Mm -hmm. Dion, we probably won't sustain it. So, you know, one of the things when you think about being financially healthy and the part that's ongoing, it's like anything. We got to be we got to constantly work at it. You know, we got to build our muscle. And a lot of that muscle is just being consistent with our routine, whether that's constantly making sure that we invest, we plan, we save, try to do the right things in terms of the mix of debts and things of that sort. So I would say it's something that we constantly work at. Because again, life is going to change and we have to modify with it. Okay. So I was looking at some information and doing research for this particular episode with you. And I came across something that was interesting. According to research done by Financial Health, one third to one half of all individuals in the U.S. are in poor financial shape. So with that being said, what is the first thing an individual needs to do to assess, I should say, their current state of financial health? That's an excellent question. And let me give a little bit more background around those statistics. Dr. Dion, what that's referring to primarily is that if something were to happen to most Americans, the numbers that you just provided, mm -hmm. and there was a need for $400 or more, they can't provide for it. Wow. So $400 or more. Okay. $400 or more. Mm -hmm. uh, most people don't have $400 set aside from an emergency standpoint. The first thing that we have to do when you start looking at money, when you start looking at your health and being able to be prepared, that's exactly what it is, a state of preparedness. And so mm -hmm. we have to start by doing a self-assessment and the self-assessment will determine whether the issue is really a money issue or a management issue. So, you know, the first place of getting going and this seems so rudimentary, but if you look at Everyone who's successful, I, I can guarantee you they've mastered the basics. So we have to go back and we got to start with, with the foundation. And that's analyzing 
our own cash management so that if something were to come, we're good to go. So, you know, I would say the, the first assessment is with self. Let's let's look at where we currently stand on a month to month basis with expenses, making sure that we're good to go. But then also analyze where you're going. If we could pause for a minute, put together our thoughts and our ideas, really the vision that we mm-hmm. have for our future, that will help us keep everything on track because it's so easy to get off. There's a lot that's competing for our money. And so if we keep those things at the forefront, we're able to analyze where we are and make sure that we're our spending is appropriate for where we're going. Okay. So from what I gather, initial steps, like you said, is just rudimentary and that we need to first look at what our expenses are on a monthly basis. Absolutely. And, okay. And then from there, figure out from that standpoint of what is going in and out as far as income and then also planning for the future is what I'm gathering. That is 100% correct. Because for us to have the financial health, we have to know that we're in a position to do so. And so, you know, I would say for everyone who is able to listen in on this very important topic today is start with just listing everything that you have, or if you have a mechanism already to which you track your expenses, take inventory and treat yourself like a business. You have to know from a household perspective, what are the things that we have coming in Mm -hmm. be it income, and what are the things that we have going out? The expenses, because even if we have uh, a great amount of wealth that could come and flow through our hands, the same amount can flow out. So we're trying to avoid feeling as though we're just making, we're just getting by. And so we got to first assess. Then let's figure out in looking at all those expenses, categorize it, because we know that certain things are not going away. We got to live. We have to have food. We got to travel. But some things we may can sacrifice. And so it's going to be a matter of looking to see what is reasonable. And could we cut some things to make sure that we position ourselves to be healthy for whatever may come our way? So I know you work as a certified financial planner. And when you meet with clients, okay, and you say you start off with those basics with those individuals. So I wanted to ask, have you noticed or have individuals been surprised about what their expenses, most of their expenses have been going to in certain situations once they take a step back and go through that process? Absolutely. As I mentioned, you would be surprised to where when you write things down, what you mm-hmm. can truly see and everybody finds money. Everyone mm-hmm. find money. I've had people to to realize, oh my goodness, like what I'm really striving to accomplish and achieve, I already have it. Sometimes we think, oh, I just don't have the money or I just can't do it or I can't save. Mm-hmm. No, either we got to shift our mindset or we got to shift the budget. So, yes, indeed, it has been an epiphany for a lot of individuals and it has truly shaped where they're going because they see that they have that capacity. And it's just a matter of making decisions um, based on the importance of it. Okay. So let's say an individual takes that time out to go through that process. They look at their expenses, the income that they have, and they realize that, okay, I'm not in the best financial health. So what possibly would be the first step to addressing that? So what I do, we talk it out. You know, I've already commended them for taking this first step. The one thing about money is that it carries so many different emotions. So give yourself grace. I'm going to start there. Give yourself grace, but be honest with yourself. You know, we have to take a hard look and make sure that we aren't overspending. Um, Sometimes a lot of things that we we find ourselves in is really based on past decisions. So we can't do anything about that, but what can we do going forward? So we talk it out, Dr. Dion, and we say, what is reasonable, what is not? What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to cut? And what we have to keep in mind, this is not a permanent thing. We put a buy when date. You know, there is an end date, an expiration date. But if we're trying to get to a certain point, we have to really make some hard decisions initially. Now, if we discover we've streamlined as many expenses as possible, and it's just really a matter of income, the next step I might propose is take a look at the pace of because it could be that there are some extra deductions that we may can modify. Mm-hmm. Or if that's not the case, it's truly a matter of income. And we have to figure out how to get extra income into the household. And so when you do advise that, is there some type of budget that's set up? Because a lot of people don't like that term budget. So is that something that you recommend for individuals to kind of be like an initial step? I do. I actually sent over this too that 
even regardless of how everything shake out from that, you know, initial meeting, it's something they can carry forward forever. And it's it's like a financial picture of where you are, your assets, mm-hmm. your liabilities, your budget, all the things that you have in place. And I do believe that's the first step because we do look at budget as a restriction. But a budget is truly an ally. What we have not done is included the things that matter to us in the budget. So anything that we do, we have to make sure it's accounted for. Even things that are one-time expenses, if we're not trying to have a lump sum at one time, we can plan for it. Travel, we can plan for it. Things that I enjoy, I'm going to have in the budget. It's just a matter of making sure that I don't necessarily have to account for dollar to dollar, but I need to make sure my money is earmarked you know, as closely as possible so it just does not go in different places. So I think the issue with the budget is that we've left some things off. We've been too aggressive when it comes to maybe thinking I can save and now we're going back and forth and tapping into it. So it just really helped us to position things appropriately, including the things that matter. But at the same time, we're not also sacrificing what's going to position us well in the future. Are there any type of like applications online, free applications people can use to enter their information as far as their expenses, income and actually be able to outline and see more so than actually manually writing it down? Yes. So and and that's a a really great point. I'm going to say whatever your style is, go with it. I have some some clients I work with who still love to write it down because it's something ingrained when you write it. It just helps to maintain it. And I have others who are tech savvy. They want to be able to just put their hands on it really quickly and allow the system to, to calculate. So from an online perspective, the first place I would tell you to get started is actually with your banks. Most banks today Mm-hmm. If you have online banking, they mm-hmm. offer the technology to where you can set up different targets and goals. And so it'll track it for you. So that's one really great place. Another tool is Mint, mint.com, M-I-N-T. A lot of people like that because it's the same approach where you can actually see all your expenses, kind of have an idea how I'm not trending. And it's just really, really great tracker and mechanism. And then another app that I have clients that rave about is called the Every Dollar app. And the Every Dollar app really assists with accounting for just about every dollar, as it mentions. Um, and you can put, again, those targets. You can see how the spending. And what I would tell you is whatever mechanism you choose, give yourself two, possibly three months to figure out the pattern. Because mm-hmm. once we've initiated the budget, sometimes we don't know the numbers and it might be a guesstimate. After you've had actual expenses for a couple of months, you know, sometimes months are seasonal. So try to avoid seasonal months. Mm-hmm. But you can determine truly, you know, what are my habits? What are my patterns? Then I can establish a reasonable budget going forward. Okay. So we have these little small plastic cards <laughs> that we often use, whether it's a credit card or a debit card. So I wanted to ask your opinion about what are the dangers of having those cars and using those? I have a a dear friend Mm -hmm. (laughs) alongside me in this world of financial health, Marsha Barnes. Mm -hmm. And she loves to use this phrase that she will say, you know, put this on your credit card. And before you swipe, look at this statement. Is this Mm -hmm. taking me further or closer away to my goals? So always think about you know, yes, the plastic, we talk about it, but really it's the end user and mm-hmm. because we have control. But the dangers, I'll tell you, is really twofold. Now, we know when it comes to a debit card, that is truly what we have. And so the biggest danger is just really being exposed and then someone else getting access to it and having control over it and actually utilizing the funds that we have, which might take some time for us to replenish. But if we were looking at actual usage for spend, it's the way to where, you know, we spend what we have. We're not overspending. What, we, what we're working with is what we're going to actually utilize. Mm-hmm. That's a positive. On the credit card side, the positive is I have a little bit more added protection. So, you know, if, if I, something were to happen to my credit card, someone were to give my information, I could easily justify that it's not me, still have my cash and my debit card, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have added protection there. But the dangers, you know, is I, I'm using this card to get the points. That only works if we're at a zero balance or we're paying things off on a, on a consistent basis. Otherwise, we're technically paying for the points because uh, we got to pay the interest on those things. Or we're carrying balances. And then also with credit, I think we have to understand what a thing is designed for, because if we don't know the purpose of it, we're going to abuse it, obviously. So the intent really with credit was really time. It was just to allow you time to get things to where you can pay. So I always say, 
if we're going to utilize a credit card, it's probably for the, again, the protection piece. I'd rather use my credit card over my debit card, but we should be able to make that payment really immediately. We don't necessarily have to before it's actually due, but we shouldn't be swiping unless we've already accounted for in our budget or we have the money available to actually pay. So those are some of the dangers, but then there also are positive that goes with it as well. Okay. And I just want you to kind of reemphasize again the things that should be built into our budget. I know you said you should make sure that there are certain things that we automatically know that we have to have on a daily basis to survive. And then there's additional things too that we probably should include. Absolutely. You know, I I like that you want to elaborate on that because sometimes we also think managing a budget is difficult, but really we're only managing, truth be told, our discretionary spending because other things really we have, we're obligated to pay. So if you think about high level and if you think in category housing is the first thing. So everything that we need from a housing standpoint, whether that's mortgage, rent, utilities, any household needs, we're going to include. Mm-hmm. Then we need transportation. So if that's a vehicle loan, lease, gas, insurance, and even we should plan for maintenance. Okay. Even though it's not on a monthly basis, we know that um, any type of bill when it comes to repairs can be substantial. So that's a really great thing to plan for. Another thing, too, is that if we're doing parking, if we're doing ride shares, don't exclude those because they add up. And so just try to account for, you know, activities and things of that sort, because that's going to help without with surprises. Then we have to shift to like our daily needs. Right. Mm-hmm. So whether that be groceries, whether that is clothing, food. So we want to account for those components. We should also plan for our insurances, whether that's health, whether that's life, whether that's disability, long term care medical bills, dental bills, anything that's regarding health, we should have a plan for that. Then we have to consider our obligations. So that could be a student loan, that could be a personal loan, that could be credit cards, that could be support for our children, that could be any type of obligation that we have. And what I want to do and where I should have started was with ourselves. We should Mm -hmm. really be the first creditor on our budget. Because truth of the matter is that if we never pay ourselves, we will never get paid. Everyone else has to get paid. We have to make sure that we put ourselves as a financial obligation as well. So really all those things that I just mentioned, they're almost, they're not set in stone. Utilities will fluctuate. Groceries might, you know, change, et cetera. But there's something that's really not going away. What we have to manage and what we have to include are things that we enjoy, such as dining out, hanging out, hobbies, travel, giving, you know, all those things should also be accounted for in the budget. So again, we're not surprised and we know that, you know, we can maintain the lifestyle that we desire. Excellent. So when you look at that list that you gave, do you include savings, emergency funds within that? Absolutely. That's part of the financial obligation. And there could be multiple savings because obviously something can happen more in the short term. Dr. Dion, and something could be happening, you know, long term. So I always recommend there should be savings for the no touch. You know, this is not for something that just popped up that small. This is more so that three to six month that we recommend. Mm-hmm. And then we should have something for a small extra 200, 500, something we really didn't foresee. But we don't feel as though we're not saving because we're tapping into the long term savings. So have that um, accounted for. Even if we like to invest, you know, mm-hmm. it's really good to have that accounted for in the budget as well. Okay. So you just mentioned it should be roughly three to six months of savings or emergency funds. And that is basically covering all of your expenses for your living expenses, I should say. That's correct. So if you were looking, if you look at the bare bones, like everything that we just mentioned, excluding discretionary spending, things that are required, we need to have those accounted for. So the, the rule of thumb, is if there is dual income and it's comparable, then we should have ideally three months because it's it's really unlikely that we will be out of both incomes at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when I say comparable, if you have an income at 100000 and you have an income at 50000 that's not comparable. So we should have more than three months in that case. But if both are at 100000 then three months of those expenses is the bare minimum that we want to have. When there is a single source of income, Mm -hmm. we recommend six months. 
or even when there's dual income and it's not you know comparable as just mentioned, we want to have six months. And what I will also share is those numbers may not be comparable for everyone. Some individuals or couples might say, I'd rather have a year's worth. So at least get to those targets that we recommend. But if that is not sitting well, continue because we do want to have a level of comfort and not just having, you know, liquid money sitting. We want the money to be working, but we do want you to still feel a level of comfort. And obviously, as we can see with situations such as COVID, how it can take some time to truly rebound. So I had a question in regards to, like you said, no touch funds. Should those be in your bank account or should it be in a high yield account? What do you typically recommend? I normally recommend those to go to a high yield savings account or a money market account. Now, obviously, um, it's almost null and void because we're in a very low interest rate environment. So it's really not a such thing as high yield. But the higher yielding accounts are going to be the best accounts for anything that we're saving long-term for. And when I say long-term, not from a retirement standpoint, we don't want to save for the purpose of something of that degree in a, in a savings account, but for things that we have a need, certainly go with the higher yield savings account or money market accounts. A really great place to go is bankrate.com. Mm-hmm. And bankrate.com shares you know, the rates across the board. And so that's a really way to say, okay, where can I potentially look to see who's offering a relatively good yield? Okay. Excellent. So you brought up the term about discretionary funds that we also, that's what we use to enjoy our personal time or take trips or whatever. Is that the same as disposable income? I've heard that term used before. It is. It is the same. It is essentially money that you have left over after everything is accounted for. So Yes, it seems as if, you know, you can't really tell people what to do with their money, but we have to be wise and and not put those things before what's necessary. So I want to transition to what we're dealing with currently at this point in time in the U.S. as well as globally, and that's the COVID-19 pandemic. COVID-19 has basically impacted us in the U.S., and the impact has varied because people are at different stages in their lives, but the impact has been challenging for many. Therefore, I want to discuss with you those possible challenges and what are the, you know, some possible steps that people can consider in potentially overcoming some of those obstacles. Okay. And so one is people have lost their jobs during this time. Many are undergoing unemployment and they've had to either go into their savings where it may have been little or no savings at pre-pandemic and now it's probably even less or zero and then increasing credit card debt. So what would be your recommendation initially to those people and what can we learn from that potential issue for people who may not be experiencing that? Mm -hmm. Excellent question, Dr. Dia. You know, And that's the truth of the matter. I've seen both sides. I've seen, you know, the positive sides and I've seen the not so positive sides. And for those who are experiencing unemployment, loss of job, which means loss of income, which means a change in our living and our lifestyle. You know, the first thing that you always have and the best thing is communication. You would be surprised how creditors are willing to work with individuals during this time. So if you, as soon as you know that there is going to be a change in your lifestyle, and even if you have great capacity from a savings, leverage everything that's being offered through the CARES Act. Communicate with your creditors, let your uh, mortgage lenders know, Your if you're renting, let your, your leasing company, just make sure that there's communication so that you can have the added protection. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. If we have done those things and we're still trying to figure it out, obviously, you know, we have the ability to take advantage of unemployment. So certainly try to take advantage of unemployment. It is nothing wrong with getting that. It is there for a particular reason and also to sustain. The other thing is beyond that point, there are some provisions that could potentially come into play. I know that there are resources out there. And I would say check the local listings, check into any of the programs that may be available by cities, et cetera, because some are willing to actually cover rent, cover utilities. You may even find that your utility companies are willing to you know, not have late fees or maybe even waive some fees. So check into all those different components. 
And the last resort is that you can leverage some of your assets if you have to. They did allow provisions for, you know, some of your retirement accounts. And it's not that I recommend that by any means, but if we've Mm -hmm. exhausted everything that we could potentially exhaust, um, and we have to sustain, look at your resources and figure out how we can still create ways to maintain going forward. So those are the pieces that I would say are available, you know, if we find ourselves in an unfortunate situation for an extended period of time. Okay. And I had a question about the uh, statement that you made that some local cities assist with potentially covering their housing as far as their rent and things of that nature. Is that in addition to what was recently released with the stimulus package where they kind of extended the eviction moratorium or either held back, I guess, on mortgage loan payments at this time? That is, that is in addition to. So for example, and, and I know every city is going to be different. I know uh, the city of which we live, they had a program called the HOPE program. So, you know, there could, and and it was covering, you know, your living expenses, uh, housing, things of that sort. So this is in addition to stimulus. This is in addition to the moratorium. This isn't in in addition to what's been extended, such as student loan uh, repayment, et cetera. So certainly see all the resources that are out there, they are available. If you're a business owner, business owner, I work with a lot of business owners. There's grants that's out there that's available. There are even loans, if you have to, that are extremely low rates to some no rate or even forgiveness. And so we certainly want to navigate all the things that are available to us so that we could try our best if we do still have savings to maintain some of our liquidity and really, again, maintain our current lifestyle. So let's transition to another scenario where... I'm a new graduate or I'm about to graduate and it was pre-pandemic and hey, I was offered this job opportunity or when I graduate with this degree, there are going to be so many job opportunities available when I get out. I'm not going to have to worry about my options. And now it's like, non-existent. The job offers taken off of the table because the company that they were going to work for budget cuts. And now there is a hiring freeze because they don't know where the economy is going to go. And so now I'm a new graduate looking for a new job. I have probably have, like you just mentioned, dealing with student loan debt. I'm dealing possibly with credit card debt. If I remember back to the days when I was in college, they were credit card offers everywhere on campus. So there's risk of that. And then now either you don't have a job or either end up taking a job with less pay and probably not even in your field of study. So what do I do? You know, that is heavy and that is a real, a real thing. I, a matter of fact, I spoke to, what, two weeks ago, I spoke to graduating seniors at one of the local universities here. And when I tell you, we talked a little bit about everything. First thing I want you to do is not give up because the pandemic is, is certainly a rare occurrence. It's something that no one anticipated or expected. So what happens if we've had an offer extended and it was rescinded and we're trying to figure out how to get, how to, to navigate couple of things that you can do. Continue in the process. Continue to even stay in contact with that company because who knows when something is going to open up. So continue in the process of searching and looking and continue to stay in contact with the company. And if you have to, in the meantime, do something different. Do something different for the sake of starting to build your skills. One of the greatest things that you can always do is obtain knowledge and a skill set that you can transfer. So whatever that might be, leverage that. Make sure that you're updating your resume to reflect what you discover and learn or, or create it, even in the midst of a pandemic. I also you know, would say that you find our graduates or aspiring graduates or upcoming graduates to be very creative. And there is a way to make income or wealth by yourself. So is there something, a skill or a talent or a service that you can offer? Social media is really great for those different components. Leverage everything you can possibly think of, starting with the the creativity, because like I mentioned, wealth starts in the mind. And so don't be limited just because the opportunity was uh, taken away. I know that crush sometimes our spirit and even our aspirations, but we got to continue forward in that regard. So, and if you've been extending an opportunity and maybe it's not the best, of opportunities, or I expected a certain salary range, it is important to negotiate. And it's important to negotiate out of the bat 
um, because it's hard on the back end coming in and looking for something different. Now, negotiation doesn't mean arrogance. It doesn't mean that I can't accept this offer. It simply means that I'm confident in myself enough to make sure I bring to the forefront my worth. And so anytime you're extending an offer, definitely communicate how excited you are about this opportunity. Mm-hmm. However, I was expecting to have a salary range between X, Y, and Z. Because who knows? They may be willing to go back and speak to someone and maybe they can modify, right? And if that's not the case, negotiate other benefits because benefits are truly part of your pay. So it's important to understand your benefits. Some things that may be important might be wellness. Maybe you can negotiate a gym membership or, you know, it's also important to think about some student loan relief or even tuition if you're wanting to pursue higher education. So there's ways to make sure that you still can have some degree of leg up if you're extending an offer that may not be the highest salary. Think about those things that's going to impact you on a month to month basis according to the budget that we just talked about. And how can I have some added support Mm -hmm. around that? That is such a great point. And I'm glad you brought those different options to the table. I really hadn't thought about that. But one that I did come across that you mentioned, which I thought was so great, that during this pandemic, a lot of people have created businesses during this because they had to create some type of income for them, some stream of income. And a lot of businesses have developed during the pandemic. So I think mentioning that being a new graduate, say you may may not be at the best job opportunity at this point in your life, but hey, you can do this on the side in the meantime to help supplement that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you look at the greats, most of them created I think this is when this is the opportunity where truly the real person shows up. And sometimes we have to exercise that creativity to be successful and go for it. I would tell you to certainly go for it. You will surprise and amaze yourself. So just looking at the two scenarios so far that I've given you being unemployed and a new graduate from college with little to no savings or at all. And that probably would be even pre-pandemic Anyway, so what do you think a lesson that can be learned as far as saving more? Is this a lesson that, hey, this is a great lesson of why we should be saving and why that emergency fund is so important and things of that nature? When I tell you the pandemic has awakened everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone, everyone with various levels of wealth, because you can see that anything can happen that we truly cannot control even being in the best of states or the worst of state, I think what I've heard the most is that everyone has realized how important it is to have a contingency plan. So regardless of what that looks like for everyone, if you've now started working, if you never lost your job and you have extra income, make sure we we implement the things that we just discussed because it's so important to where I could almost not miss a beat when something else happens again. And What I want everyone to be mindful of, there is going to be probably a major event that happens once a decade. You know, if you if you think back to 9-11, if you think to the Great Recession, if you think to the pandemic, you know, we have to be in a position to where we're prepared because things are certainly going to happen. So that's what I would share with everyone is, hey, if we have extra income, take the opportunity to get yourself at that three to six months. If we're if we're starting to earn income, put yourself on, on the list as creditor. You may not be able to say that, you know, 20 or 10 percent, but what can you commit to and be consistent? So those are the things that I would recommend is making sure that we're not caught off guard when something else happens. OK, so let's switch to another scenario. Let's say I was about to retire. Now I have to make that pivot now that, oh, Maybe I don't have enough funds to retire or my funds that I expected to retire on have been impacted by this pandemic. So let me first start to those who are 20 plus years removed from retirement, because this is the best lesson for them Mm -hmm. is we have to create options. Life really is all about optionality. And so if someone was about to retire, they're probably only mainly concerned if they have their eggs in one place. Mm-hmm. If you've created multiple streams of income or various buckets, you've created options for when different things come our way. So what I would say to those who are starting to you know, plan for retirement, maybe you're just starting your first job, you've been working for 20 years, make sure that we have multiple streams. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've had retirees who were in that boat. And if something happens and we have everything invested or in the market, 
Yes, that's an uncomfortable place to be because now we're actually taking a double hit. So what can we do to make sure that we have some offsets? Again, cash is going to be king. So creating various buckets. But if we were about to retire, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we can't retire. What we have to assess is how prepared are we to really sustain long term? Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I mean by that is, do we know what it takes for us to maintain our retirement lifestyle? Have mm-hmm. we reassessed our current retirement plan? And maybe what we need to modify is really how our money is allocated. And before we actually start pulling money again out of certain vehicles, should we consider a different type of vehicle? So it's really a matter of, you know, when I need my money, not necessarily my money, because if I needed my money and I retired in March of 2020, it was probably not the best time for me to start utilizing what I've actually set aside. Because immediately I probably saw 20, 30 percent of my income or my my savings from a retirement standpoint go down. Mm -hmm. So it's more a matter of having some offsets so that we can still retire. And if we have to pivot, it may be a matter of we wasn't really in the position prior to retiring. So it's just really assessing, reassessing. Reassessing. All right. And so I want to talk about those individuals during this time that have lost loved ones. I was just looking at the statistics today about how many lives that have been lost from COVID-19 in the U.S. And it's 548,000 people. And that is so significant and our thoughts and prayers are with those families for sure. But it's not only when you look at those lives, that's 548,000 families that have been impacted as well. And some of those individuals that have lost loved ones, it was unexpected because COVID-19, as we know, did not discriminate at all. It could affect the young, young adult to the elderly. So what can we learn from this as it relates to end of life, you know, preparation and decisions as it relates to finances to have in place from an elderly parent passing away versus someone young, unexpected with dependence and maybe the only sole breadwinner in the household? What should we be thinking about? Mm-hmm. First, I agree, you know, and, and my heart goes out to everyone because, you know, We're tracking numbers, but these are people, these are family members, and they made so many impact, you know, for every one person, probably 50 to 100 people are impacted by that. So it's so much of a greater impact. And you're absolutely right. We have to consider how will life be different for those if we're not here? And in conversation, as much as, you know, some of these things seems basic or we might rely on some things that we think we already have in place. I'm having this conversation with everyone because what I don't want is for there to be an assumption made that we're good to go. And I always say, if you're breathing, we need a plan. Even for small children, we need a plan because things do happen unexpectedly. But the the lesson here is that and what I've seen truthfully Mm-hmm. is when you have tragedies or when you have a situation like this, it prompts us to get our affairs in order. Mm-hmm. So I've had, certainly had a lot of folks who wanted to make sure that they're covered, that their families are good to go. This is a really great time to assess anything that you have in place to make sure that all things will be covered upon death. So whether that's insurance, whether that's assets, and when I say insurance, I mean life insurance, whether that's assets, whether that's your documents. So do we have the proper uh, estate planning documents, be it a will, mm-hmm. be it a power of attorney? Mm-hmm. Because also a lot of people have, were impacted to where they couldn't make decisions. They're still living, but they can't make decisions on their behalf. What about guardianship? You know, if we have small children, it's so important that we have a plan for them. So it's really the the most opportune time to reassess every aspect of your your family's well-being in the event something were to happen to you prematurely. So life insurance plan, guardianship plans as far as living wills and things of that nature, power of attorney. You know what? Let's let's just do a complete audit of everything. You know, Mm -hmm. write down your assets, write down your liabilities. Would Mm -hmm. would your family know where to Mm -hmm. go um, if something were to happen? Would they know all the things that we have? Would they know who we bank with? Bank Mm -hmm. accounts is one of the things that's so easy to get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. So make an inventory of everything that you have, assets, liabilities. And if you can assess those accounts that are contracts, we got to have the proper designation. So a bank account is a contract. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, a retirement account is a contract, an investment account, life insurance. Make sure that we have the designated individuals and we have more than one person mm-hmm. designated. So all those things are still important to analyze and assess. Um, so I would say start there. And if you know that you can think through, these are the things that matter to me. You know, if something were to happen today, it is important for my family to be covered. It is important that I can support my children or my grandchildren. It is important that my income still remains and and you've taken a look at your current plans in place and they're not sufficient. Have a conversation with an advisor or with a planner because we want to make sure that those things are truly accounted for. So it's a really great time to assess. Wow, that's great information. Things I hadn't even thought about because like you said, you mentioned about bank accounts. I was like, yeah, I'm thinking, I was like, if something were to happen, would everyone know which account? Because you do have accounts Everywhere, like you say, you may have a high yield account. You have your banking checking account that you use daily. Then who knows where you hide your life insurance policy? Who knows who you have a will with unless you told them that you have a will that they know to look forward? Because that's something that needs to to be known. So yeah, great tips. You know, the other thing that I would add is we don't even think about this, mm-hmm. but our digital power. Mm-hmm. What about access to our account online? You know, passwords, our social accounts, you know, it's so important that we have this, all these, this information somewhere because someone will have to come behind us and take care of things. And that's all estate planning is, is, mm-hmm. you know, everything that I have accumulated, whether asset or liability, a debt or, well, somebody has to handle it at some point. So how can I make it easy and simplified? I always say for, you know, when someone establishes insurance with me, let them know where, you, let someone know where to go to get this important document. You don't have to tell them what's in it, but where can they go to get right. it, right? right? So it's just little things that, hey, you know what, if we do those tips and then if we were to make it part of a review, so just set a time where you're going to look at this maybe every year or twice a year, then you'll make sure that all things are in order. We all live with our devices in our hand pretty much. I don't know too many people that have my passcode. And not to mention numbers that we have to remember, like, And then for different accounts and things. And then, like you said, if you don't have anybody designated for those accounts that you've established, then it may be an issue with them getting access to those funds. So I think that's a great point to make sure that people have uh, people designated to know about those things and even designated as a beneficiary for those Mm -hmm. accounts and that they're aware of it. 100%. So I want to talk about something else that has just developed during this pandemic as well. And probably not even just during this pandemic, but I'm sure it's been at the forefront of many individuals' mind, especially in families and things of that nature, is that, you know, you mentioned that financial health has a mental component related to it. Oh, yeah. And how do you approach individuals who have different financial perspectives on how to manage money and Two, like how I'm sure you probably get questions from individuals about how should they approach their significant other or partner, whoever uh, about finances, because that's a major issue. And they have two different perspectives on how the finances should be managed. And so I wanted to get your opinion, because I'm sure you probably had consultations with couples and things of that nature. And then like they get in there and they find out that they're not on the same page. Oh, yes. You know, this is a very important (laughs) and interesting conversation. Uh You learn so much. So money really is taught or it's ingrained from an early age. A lot of habits, a lot of patterns. And, you know, I start conversations off, Dr. Dion, with understanding the non-financial pieces, Mm -hmm. because we can we can truly talk about, you know, your numbers and different things. But if I don't know, you know, the non-financial pieces, your relationship with money. You know, I'm having those conversations first, philosophies, mm-hmm. because that w- really will shape how you make decisions. So I always say when it comes to my couples, help me to understand what is currently the management of the house. Oftentimes I want to know who's the CFO, who's managing the finances, yes, who's the CEO, because uh-huh. it could be different in terms of who's making the decisions. And how do we work from a unity perspective? Because mm-hmm. sometimes at work, you know, sometimes... You know, one spouse, one one partner might choose to, you know, take this side of the coin and, and you know, another might choose to take that side and that works very well. Oftentimes what we want to make sure is happening is that there is 
definitely involvement on both ends of the spectrum. And so I always want to make sure, because this could be a very sensitive conversation. It is sensitive, I'm sure. <laughs> it could it could definitely uh, mean that there is a lapse in time when I see them again, because now they've realized that, you know, it's more that we need to discuss than just mm-hmm. money. Right. Mm-hmm. But it is so critical because really, until we can get on the same page and have a, a said level of respect for uh, what we value, then mm-hmm. we're probably going to have some differences throughout the entire time. And so I like to make sure that they can kind of talk through some different things, give perspective, because once they can start to talk through and give perspective, they start to see it from someone else's, you know, someone else's lens. And oftentimes, again, it could be the lack that of knowledge that they did not receive growing up Mm -hmm. or how they were taught different things and they strayed away from what they saw. Mm -hmm. So once you can start to understand where someone's perspective, then the next piece is from a joint standpoint or from a unity standpoint, or from a couple standpoint, what do we want different? Mm -hmm. Because we can't really base off what we saw before. We can have separate accounts if that works. And, you know, that's really the approach. We can have joint accounts. But what do we want different? And getting a line on that is what I really coach on more than anything else. Because, again, it's going to work very different for, for most. But if we could be on the same page, I think that's where success comes in. I'm glad you mentioned that coming to a moment where we can agree on what do we want different, even though our perspectives may be polar opposites. And so how can we get to that middle point of what do we really see together that we could basically come together on and make decisions about and agree upon? So I really appreciate that. So can we have a conversation, Dr. Dion, Mm -hmm. before we even get to that point of unity, right? Because Mm -hmm. this is so important. It's really the values that you have to think about when you're starting a family and what would we want to teach our children, et cetera. It's like the same thing. I would encourage everyone who is engaging in a serious relationship that could go further and there could be, you know, a partnership Mm -hmm. is to have those conversations or pay attention, right? Because uh, oftentimes, you know, you'll find that the relationship or the the way in which we handle money is really a behavior issue. And we have to get to the roots of those different components. There's something that's stemming upon it. So early in the process, not that you have to know everything about someone when you're dating them, but it's important to know their habits. It's important to know what they value. Just say, you know, what do you value about money? Well, what's been the greatest lesson that you've learned when it comes to managing money? Do you believe in saving money? Would you say that you like to spend it all? Like Start to understand those different concepts before you get to a point, because we what, what we want is to avoid this at all costs. We know that in most cases, unfortunately, marriages do not sustain when it comes to finances. So if we can get on the same page early, we can start to develop what's going to be our standard as a couple for spending, for saving, for credit, it would just help to alleviate anything on the back end. Right. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because people do not, most people do not like to address that prior to becoming married sometimes, or it's right before they've made the decision to get married. And it's like, uh oh, I didn't know that we're going to possibly be dealing with this issue. So great advice about those particular questions to kind of pose to people that are dating, but also given a perspective of people who are life partners, as well as currently married of how they should approach that situation as well. So that is definitely helpful. Absolutely. All right. So I want to transition to another area. As you may know, I like to address disparities as well as improving community health advocacy. And I came across an article on the uh, Fortune website titled A Tale of Two Americas, How the Pandemic is Widening the financial health gap. So the article, roughly the just a quick synopsis, you may have already read it, but just for the listeners, is that the article addressed a study that showed, uh, and it was just assessing the general public's financial health in the U.S. And it showed that 30% of Americans, pretty much like we uh, initially mentioned that 33% of Americans are financially healthy and 
the number that they provided said that it was like 4% higher than 2019, which was surprising seeing that we were in a pandemic when this article was put out, I think it was late 2020. And I thought it would be like lower because we were in the middle of a pandemic. But when looking closer at it in certain categories, even though it went up, it was definitely a stark difference within that study. If you start looking at the financial health, according to households. And so a household that made greater than a hundred thousand yearly, they increased their improved their financial health by nine percent. But anybody less than 30,000 didn't have any change at all. And then I was looking at the the aspect of when it looked at race. So there was 39% white and then there was 39% Asian people that were considered financially healthy and they all had an increase compared to 2019. Okay. As well as 24% of the Latin Latino people were considered financially healthy and they had an increase as well. But then when you get to the African American community, 15% were uh, considered financially healthy in, in this population. And there was no improvement in their wealth or financial health compared to the other populations that I mentioned. And then too, they mentioned that black and Latino people had like, I think like 39% versus 23% of the white people were likely to say that their debt was unmanageable, I should say. They couldn't manage it. So they were more than likely to say, okay, this debt is just too overwhelming compared to the Caucasian population. So looking at that, and I wanted to just use a quote that was actually mentioned in there and just get your perspective on it and how we should potentially address it. President and CEO Jennifer Tesher of the Financial Health Network mentioned that there has been significant financial health gaps, especially when it comes to the minority population, especially the African-American community. And that, yeah, the based on this study, the pandemic may have been a major contributor to the numbers being low and really no change in their financial health. But she believed it to be due to years of systemic racism based on the lending market practices, the credit system, as well as some other areas compared to white families that impact their financial health and that they have been able to build that generational wealth, but the African-American community have not even been able to have the chance to even develop it at all. So what can we do from your perspective to kind of correct potentially some of those issues that can decrease that generational, or I should say financial wealth gap That is so different between the African-American community, especially versus Caucasian population. So thanks for for bringing this article to the forefront, Dr. Dion, and also for sharing this with the the listeners. What I want to say is the the biggest opportunity here is really knowledge. And it it wasn't because if if you were to really enhance the population of, of the sample of population that could be represented for this particular study, you will find that there were some improvements from an African-American standpoint. However, the disparity already existing when you look at the wealth gap overtakes what may have been improved. Mm-hmm. So if you have a population of African-Americans <laughs> excuse me, who's considered to be affluent, and believe it or not, affluent is making $75,000 or more in, mm-hmm. in America. Okay. If you have that population who are having some level of improvement, but they only make up, you know, 30 or less percent of African-Americans and you have the rest who are trying to figure out in a pandemic, what do I do? How do I maneuver? You know, it was very tight before. Uh, Maybe this particular opportunity or job that I had, I no longer have. It was really figuring things out and knowing what to do so that you can also have a a level playing field. So it's really knowledge which is needed so that Mm -hmm. we can close that gap more than anything else. Yes, you do have previous issues that we are fully aware of when it comes to predatory lending, not having the credit. So having higher credit interest rates or just having the lack of things available to you, not having the savings that we talked about mm-hmm. in the African-American community. But I want listeners to know that there are changes as a whole that are happening that we don't oftentimes bring to the forefront, but we oftentimes don't see in the unfortunate reasons because the impact is so great that it's still overshadowing some of the positive things that are happening. So to really work with getting those who 
maybe making 30,000 to the 40,000 and then to the 50,000 and then to the 60,000 and 75,000. We got to really spend some time there. And, and a lot of it's going to be education, mm-hmm. um, actually obtaining more education so they can earn more income mm-hmm. or getting education financial literacy when, is what I'm speaking to specifically so that they know how to maneuver in cases of this sort. Truth be told, we saw the same thing when everything first came out with the PPP, mm-hmm. right? The Payroll Protection Act. Uh, a lot of the business owners who were smaller business owners were solopreneurs. They could have been independent contractors. They could have been stylists. They could have been barbers who did not have accounts established at banks or they didn't have the proper business structure. And so we missed out on some of those different components. So again, it's going to be access to knowledge, access to what's needed to already be in a position to where when things come our way, we're not having a plan by default. I think that's the greatest opportunity that we have and that we see. And it's so interesting to hear, you know, the improvement. And I I will say the truth of the matter, if you think about those $100,000 household who saw a 9% improvement versus anyone who was making less than $30,000, granted, if you're making less than $30,000, even if something is no longer required, you still need every dollar that you're making to sustain in in America. Mm -hmm. But if you're making $100,000, it was probably the reason why we saw improvement was because we had that disposable income or that discretionary income that was being spent on things that we could no longer spend it on, travel, Mm -hmm. dining out. Etc. Or maybe your children are at home. So we're also saving on daycare, etc. So those were the impact of, as you would say, rich getting richer, poor getting poorer. It's just really looking at things that's already in play. But what we have to do is make sure we constantly take the time to educate, mm-hmm. increase the knowledge or help to increase you know, the skill set so that we can earn greater levels of income. I think that's a great point, because in order for you to know how to do better, you need to be educated. And so making available, like you said, the education opportunity to allow you to earn a certain certification to allow you to have more income or maybe it's just financial literacy. You have the income, but you're not managing it well. So I think that's great advice from that standpoint. And From that study, they also looked at the gender. So I really want to get into this aspect. Okay. Being a woman and we're both being women. And it stated that there was improvements in the financial health of women compared to 2019. However, it was still lower compared to men where 28% of the women felt they were financially well and healthy compared to 40% of the men. So I want to get your perspective on that. And the the reason is possibly due to the wage gap that we as women in this country have to deal with. And I think there was a Thea Guerin that mentioned she was a senior director on the Financial Health Network. And she said, yeah, I think it's due to the wage gap between men and women and that the financial health was bad for white women, but it was even worse for basically non-white minorities. So I want your perspective on how can we improve this particular aspect within our financial situation as women? And that's what I really want to talk about more so is how can we get there versus what the numbers say? Because although the numbers don't lie, they don't tell the full story. Women are out here doing some really phenomenal things. I think overall, from an improvement standpoint, it's the confidence that women are gaining when it comes to their finances. Women are, in a lot of cases, they're they're the breadwinners of the household. They're making decisions. We know that women are, and African-American women specifically, are the number one leaders when it comes to starting businesses. And so we have to continue to do those things so we can see this change. Again, the confidence comes from getting in front of someone such as myself, sitting down, having a conversation, make sure that you position yourself well and you know what to do with wealth or if you don't have it before something were to come. I think as women, you know, we are one of the most unique and greatest challenge as well when it comes to being successful. And obviously to get to a point to where we, we get what we deserve, we have to be mindful of that. And so... Although, you know, the statistics shows how there's a lack thereof, I would say that we're certainly making strides. And what we have to do is be wise with that wealth. It's also important for us to know we live longer. We take breaks because we we, we may pause to have children. We may pause to raise children. 
So we have to really make sure that we're really positioned well, because we're going to live, in most cases, outlive a spouse. We're going to, in most cases, take care of a spouse, but we're going to be the ones who don't have that support. So it's so important that to work on building the confidence is knowing, you know, what are the scenarios that could possibly come into play? Why is it important for me to have a seat at my own household table with the finances, right? And that my voice is heard. I'm making decisions. I'm part of the conversation because we are in that predicament with greater levels of income. And I'm seeing that. I'm really seeing a lot of women who are doing some really great and phenomenal things. And don't be afraid to have the financial conversation. Don't be afraid, you know, whomever, you know, your partner might be in the household. Make sure that you have some level of insight and some level of knowing what's happening, because I think it's starting to shift with the younger population. Sometimes with, you know, maybe the older population, you do see when a spouse transition and maybe the husband managed a lot of different things where they're not sure what to do, you know, from a, from a financial aspect. And with this changing and wealth changing hands, we're going to be the greatest benefactor over this next decade. We have to know what to do with wealth before it even comes. And so again, a lot of this is going to be the confidence in knowing that we have exactly what it takes to be successful, but we have to truly seek out knowledge and a plan so that we, we feel confident. Excellent. Well, I definitely will take those tips away, knowledge and confidence. And I think that is so key. And as it relates to the wage gap that we mentioned and that is going on in this country, I always like to tell individuals too, especially as women, that we need to negotiate our worth. A lot of times we are so timid and feel like if we try to negotiate higher compensation packages and things of that nature, that we're being considered too aggressive. But I always tell individuals like, hey, you know your worth, ask for it, because that is your opportunity to close in on that wage gap. Raise your hand. Do not sell yourself short. Matter of fact, I truly believe, you know, if you were to look around in a in a boardroom, in a courtroom, wherever you might be, everyone else wants to hear from us. We bring something unique to the table. And you're absolutely right. It's all about the power of negotiation. You know, the other thing is, is looking at the studies that have been done around even applying for a job, Dr. Dion. Mm-hmm. If there are 10 things listed, and we don't have all 10, guess what? We don't think we're qualified. Whereas as a male counterpart, oh, it's two things I can do. Sign me up. Exactly. Sign me up. Exactly. So, so what we have to make sure that we can bring to the forefront is not always necessarily what we don't have or our weaknesses, but what do we have? Like highlight the strengths because really your weaknesses are just opportunities that we can we can certainly get to that point. So certainly negotiate. It's important to, you know, one of the things that I I speak to my clients, and I like to say that I work with women who are mastering their careers, doing really great things, various levels, and really have an appetite for success. We talk about the earning potential because we don't realize that first and foremost, we are our greatest asset. There is not a dollar amount that we can place on ourselves. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the economic impact that we have to earn income, we need to know that because in, in and of itself, that's negotiation power. So I would certainly agree is be confident. We don't have to go in and ask for more and don't feel like ourselves. Portray yourself, but certainly make sure that your voice is heard because otherwise, you know, we won't be closing the gap. So there's more attention to it. We definitely have more allyship from our men. And so while that opportunity is available, let's certainly take advantage of it. Excellent. Well, I can tell you right now, you have provided a wealth of knowledge. People pay thousands of dollars for this type of information. Mm -hmm. So for you to come on my podcast and provide my listeners with this information is so appreciated. And so before we get out of here today, I wanted to ask you first and foremost, is there any parting thoughts that you want to uh, provide to my listeners before we wrap up? You know, there are. I so appreciate you, Dr. Dion. Mm-hmm. Because we overlook how all this ties together. Your wealth is your health and your mm-hmm. health is your wealth. And when I think about what we have at our disposable, we have really the ability to create life on our own terms. So what I would share with everyone who's listening, take some time for yourself. 
Really start to think through your vision. Start to think through what matters to you. Think about those things that may be in the short term as well as far removed. And even if something is far-fetched, write it down. Get those things in front of you and keep it at the forefront because that's where your success is going to come into play with being very disciplined and being committed to the things that may sometimes be uncomfortable. We don't necessarily want to do, but also pay it for You know, there is a responsibility that we have to make sure everyone in our circle is good to go. So certainly for those coming behind you, whether it's siblings, whether it's nieces, nephews, grandchildren, or even a a colleague or a coworker, someone you care about, we share where to go to get the latest dress, shoes, Mm -hmm. share these tips that could change someone's life. And so definitely the last thing I'll say is that although we've had excellent conversation, Mm -hmm. it means nothing if we don't apply it. So remember that you know, the, the greatest power is not knowledge, but it's applied knowledge. So certainly take everything that we've discussed, what is applicable to you, put it into action and activate it and go forth and, and continue to do great things. All right, listeners, before we wrap up today, I want to give you the opportunity to find out a little bit more information about Miss Deidre Willis. She has provided great information throughout this podcast episode. And if you are interested in finding out more about how she can help you address your personal finances, I want to basically give her the opportunity to share with you her information regarding her contact information. So if you want to have a consult or even an in-depth conversation, you could go to my website. There is a button out there that says contact me and we will reach out to you. My website is deidrawillis.nm.com. That's D-E-I-D-R-A-W-I-L-L-I-S dot N as in Nancy, M as in Mike.com. So again, deidrawillis.nm.com. Excellent. I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share with my listeners. I really appreciate that. And for those of you who want to make sure that you have that contact information from Ms. Deidre Willis, I will put it in the show detail notes for you so you can have all of her contact information just in case you don't get all the information from the podcast episode. It will be in the show notes. In addition, If you're new to the podcast or a chronic listener of the podcast and haven't left a five-star review on your streaming platform of choice and you have been getting great benefit from the information that I've been providing on the podcast, please leave a five-star review on your streaming platform of choice. It helps so much in allowing me to bring amazing content to have at your fingertips. And thank you to the listeners who have already left reviews. I really appreciate it. And please remember, this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not serve as financial advice for your personal finances. Thanks again for checking out this episode. This is your host, Dr. Dion. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe and feel free to tell your family and friends to check out the podcast. And remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and the thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice.